Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Dear Prudence. As always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. And today we present to you the very first international episode of our show, recorded live at Story Hall in Melbourne, Australia, on September 8th, 2019. I was joined by Clementine Ford, a Melbourne-based writer, feminist, and author of the best-selling books, Fight Like a Girl, and Boys Will Be Boys. And now, on with the show. Hello, Melbourne. (laughs) I should say hello and welcome to the first international edition of the Dear Prudence show. Once again, and as always, I'm your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Hi. I have a fabulous guest with me today. Clem is with me today. Clem, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Daniel. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here on the Dear Prudence first international live broadcast. My name is Clementine Ford. I'm a feminist writer who lives here in Melbourne. Um, I'll take the opportunity now to say that we are a meeting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And in this, the first international live broadcast of Dear Prudence, um, we pay our respects to elders past and present. I am so thrilled that all of you are here. I hope all of you can hear us well. We've been reminded to keep these microphones close to our faces, and please feel free to remind me if I forget. I want to make sure everyone gets to hear every single problem that we are going to be attending to, because there are some doozies. We are starting with a letter that has been... I don't think I've been able to sleep since I first read this one. We were talking about it a little bit backstage. It is... um, I want to go to this person's house. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to put it on screen and read it out loud for you all now. Subject, I need to quit my job, but it will ruin my cousin's business. Dear Prudence, Joe is my cousin and best friend's husband. The, the, The best friend is also the cousin. Joe is the husband. Fifteen years ago, he started a side business and offered me a part-time job working from home. I had just quit my full-time job to stay home with my newborn daughter, needed money and flexibility, and this job was ideal. The business evolved over time, my hours increased to full-time, and I developed some unique expertise in our niche business. I went through some tumultuous times over the years, and few employers would have been as understanding as Joe. Things have finally stabilized, and I am now in a position where I can change my jobs. Some reasons I should quit. I'm unhappy. I'm isolated. Joe doesn't respect my abilities and takes credit for my work. We are sick to death of each other. The pay is okay, but there are no benefits because he can't afford them. I'm a single mom with a deadbeat ex-husband, and I need benefits. What's holding me back? If I quit... 
Joe would have to shutter the business. He's the idea guy with the connections, but he has no idea how to execute 90% of our work. It would take more than one person to replace me. The things I do are highly specific and disparate, and he can't afford to do that. He is family, a good man, and a good friend. He has a separate full-time job. But he's a workaholic who loves this business and relies on the income. I'll be responsible for its demise, and he'll be devastated. I've known for a year what I need to do, but I can't bring myself to do it. I don't even know how to start the conversation. Or should I just break it to him when I get a new job? His wife doesn't get involved in his business or our problems, so I don't want to put her in the middle. I feel stuck here. Help. <laughs> we were talking about this problem backstage and it immediately devolved into us talking about our past broken relationship because that is exactly what this feels like. She's trying to figure out how to break up with her deadbeat husband. Which she's already done. And now she has to do it again. And, and I feel so much for this letter writer because I can feel the ways in which she has made herself responsible for Joe's every happiness um, for years now. But you all listened to this letter being read out loud and you laughed at some key points. Not because we think this letter writer is, is a foolish person, but because the problem is so obvious. And recognizable. Yeah, like it, we were, I was saying like it feels like she has bent herself backwards for him for so long, she doesn't even realize you don't normally sleep like this. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the things about just the correlation between what she's doing to help prop up this business and I mean it's a business relationship but there are a lot of correlations between how people feel about ending romantic relationships as well, that she's responsible for propping up, doing all of the emotional labour around maintaining... And the labour labour. And the labour labour around maintaining this business that he primarily benefits from while he's also got the other job. And she's absorbed all of that sense of guilt that if I end this business professional partnership, it's going to ruin his life and I'll be responsible for that and he'll hate me for it. Right. And I just got to say, if you've been running a business for this long, you don't know 90% of the work that's required to run it. You can't afford to pay someone a full-time salary with benefits. You wouldn't know how to replace your single employee if they quit. You don't actually have a business. Like, somebody else is taking you on as a charity case. So, like, Joe does not have a business. It, it, the degree to which his business exists is as long as you feel like doing all this work for him. Yeah, and I feel like he, whether or not he's conscious of it or not, there must be a part of him that's slightly conscious of it, that he has been able to get her into this position where she's essentially doing all of the work to maintain his business for him, where, he, where he's capable of doing nothing. Because, as she says early on, that when she, you know, when she starts working for, started working for him and she was a new mom of a, of a newborn baby, she was just so grateful that he was sort of understanding about her needs. Right, but, like, again, he gave you a job and not a great... I mean, it was a flexible job, yeah. but there were lots of downsides. He didn't, like, take you in when you were, you know, alone and had nowhere to sleep. Like, he gave you a job, which is what bosses do, and you don't, like, write a thank you note to your boss. <laughs> like, gee whiz, thank you for employing me. Like, Yeah, and when I first read this letter, the thing that I immediately thought was that he would have no problems firing you if suddenly the situation didn't feel like it was working out for him. Or if 
someone presented and said, I'll do the same job but for less money. Yeah, I, the guy who is happy to take your ideas and give you no health insurance, I promise you would have no problem firing you if he thought it would benefit him. So he is not spending nearly the amount of time and energy thinking about you as you are thinking about him. Yeah, and all of that time and energy as well that she's expending on anticipating the guilt. She feels the guilt already even though she's done nothing. She knows that she's going to leave this job. She yeah. knows that she needs a better job and that she's capable of getting a better job, but she's already absorbing all of the guilt that she knows he's going to force onto her. And then how does she navigate that? You know, she can say that with her her friend that um, she doesn't get involved in the business. Something tells me if you quit, your your cousin is for the first time going to get involved in your business and say, gosh, Joe's really unhappy. (laughs) My poor, poor husband who just loves having two jobs. And he's been so good to you. That's, yeah. that's really the other thing as he well. He was going to get you health insurance next year. And I think that that's, you know, going back again to that, that comparison between her feelings in a business partnership and the labour that women are often forced to do in a romantic partnership as well, this sort of like sense of he's been so good to you. He's been so, well, like the measure that we have of, and the, the measure that women are conditioned into having of how much they deserve and what they deserve from men is so low that even when we sort of think, I feel like after 15 years I might deserve a little bit more than this, Mm -hmm. you still are going through that process and she's obviously still going through that process of thinking, but do I? Yeah. He's been so good to me. No, he just employed you and stole your ideas. He's been... (laughs) At best, sometimes neutral. Um, and at worst, a very bad boss. So I, I don't want to say either you have been an idiot and you now need to feel terrible about yourself because I understand that when you got the job, you were going through a really difficult time. You've already had a lot of like tumultuous experiences leaving a, a husband who it sounds like is not helping you support your child. I understand why you have latched on to at least I have Joe and my cousin um, because by comparison, they're doing a lot better than some of the other people in your life. And and to that end, too, I, I don't want to suggest you have to now think of them as terrible monsters who set out to take advantage of you. Maybe they just were okay with taking advantage of you rather than they woke up and decided they wanted to do it. Um, but it's time to quit this job. I think you know that. Um, I, I think it's time to fundamentally change the way that you relate to Joe and your cousin, which is, you know, either start looking for a job right now and then give Joe notice or give Joe notice now if you can afford to and want to dedicate more full-time um, uh, effort to, to looking for a new job. But, but put in your notice, and when Joe and possibly your cousin come back with, what'll I do? Your answer is, gosh, I just don't know. Good luck. <laughs> he has another day job. He's going to be fine. He's had 15 years to plan for what happens if my one employee gets another job. <laughs> That's a lot of time. Um, And what he does with his side business next, since you're quitting, is something you are uniquely unqualified to help him with. (laughs) Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't work here anymore, man. (laughs) And gosh, that's going to be so liberating for you to say that too. I don't know. And it'll be Figure it out. So if you feel like you need to like work on a little script or practice ahead of time, how will I say, I don't know how you will fix that problem. Good luck. And mean it. Because that's really hard to do when you're used to saying, I'll fix it right now. And I mean, 
broadly speaking, that's great advice for anyone who finds themselves trapped in that kind of situation where they become responsible for the emotional well-being and the happiness and the even even the financial well-being of another person who is not giving them the same respect or care or kindness back. And, uh, you know, another thing that, that you said earlier about, it, you know, making that distinction between people not necessarily wanting to hurt you or take advantage of you, but ultimately it coming down to the fact that they're willing to. Yeah. Yeah. And just that, that bit about he'll be devastated, like you're taking on so much responsibility. If his side business shutters after 15 years of taking advantage of his single employee, he's going to be fine. He'll have dinner tonight. He'll have a place to live tomorrow. He will figure it out. He will still have his other job. You are not leaving him to die on the side of the road. So if he tries to come at you with that energy or if you find yourself feeling that worried about how he's going to be, like this is a grown man. He will figure himself out. He, he, he was able to take care of himself before you came along. And, and I don't say that so that you can run yourself down more, but just to remind you that you have created um, a justification for this really painful situation by saying he's like always in a state of emergency. He needs me so much. That's why I have to keep putting up with this bad behavior and this bad treatment. Um, and you actually don't. And I hope that you quit very soon. I hope you get a job at a company with an HR department and benefits and coworkers and clearly defined responsibilities. And I hope Joe, I don't know, has one job and is fine. He'll be fine. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Um, all right. This next one is all you, and I will once again press this button. Subject, working relationship. Dear Prudence, my girlfriend and I just started dating. It's been great so far, but there is one issue. We both work on the same block. She works at a brunch restaurant while I work at a startup. We met because I frequented the restaurant, and I'm friends with the chef slash general manager. Because I was there several days a week, we gradually got to know each other before I asked her out. Now I'm not sure how often I should come by the restaurant. I don't want to distract her or make her co-workers feel weird, especially because I would be coming by before work during the breakfast rush or during my lunch break during the lunch rush. Additionally, she likes to stop by my office after she gets off in the mid-afternoon, which is when I'm in the middle of projects. I like seeing her, but it does pull me away from my work. We live on opposite sides of town, so the only real chance to see each other outside of dates is during the day. It would seem silly to not see each other during the day because we work so close to each other, 
But I'm also afraid it could end up being an overbearing relationship, like college relationships where you always see your partner. This is also her first post-college relationship while I've been out a few years. How should we draw the boundaries? Totally legitimate questions. I did chuckle myself a little bit at the idea of like, obviously it would be terrible if I had to see my girlfriend all the time. (laughs) You know, like in college where they make you take classes together and I was just like... I've been out for a few years. (laughs) Yeah. Um... You know, I feel for both of them because a lot of that is sort of circumstantial proximity, isn't it, you know? And in the first flushes of a new relationship, of course you want to see each other as much as you can. Right. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, within reason. But I guess it's it's that question of proximity. Are they seeing each other because they feel like they should? Or because, I mean, is that, where, where is the value being had in the drop, the drop eyes? Is there value in visiting during a lunch or breakfast rush where you can't really spend quality time together? One of you will be distracted and one of you will feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And is there value in dropping by after work where you can't give someone your full attention? Yeah, my thought here is this. Stop by the cafe no more than you used to less than you used to if you like, but when you do, you work at a tech startup and she works at a restaurant, tip well and often. (laughs) Like, order something expensive and tip super well every time you go, and that will go a long way towards making sure that her coworkers are not bothered by you. Um, Because if you go and you take up a table and you make kissy faces at your girlfriend and then you head off to your swanky job leaving, like, 75 cents on the table, they're going to hate you, and rightly so. Um, so tip well and tip often. Um, uh, yeah, as for the rest of it, you know, if there's only a couple of days during the week that you can have her stop by, just let her know. Just say like, hey, I've got a lot of projects today. It's actually not okay. Um, I won't be able to take time off. But then like plan a date. You say that the only other times you're able to see each other is if you plan a date. So plan a date. I was also confused by that. And the we live on opposite sides of town so? So go on a date. Go on a date, use public transport, Yeah. meet in the middle. Uh, uh, the idea that somehow the only time that you could possibly see each other is while you're both working. Plan a date. It did, it did smack a little bit of the sort of like, Ugh, my girlfriend always wants to hang out. <laughs> Which is like, I'm sorry that that's your problem must suck to have someone want to spend time with you. Yeah, like um, again just my thing is just plan a date. I mean it also sort of feels like the letter writer talks about this being f- for both of them essentially a post-college relationship right. despite the fact that he may Although have the been, letter writer's been out of college for a whole two or three years. <laughs> he may have been out for two or three years. Uh, you know he's a bit more worldly than she is. No, no I don't, I don't mean to the question has been asked in good faith. Um, but I think that there is a little bit of that element of feeling your way through in a suddenly new adult environment. You know, you f- when you go to college or university, of course, you feel very adult. But it's a, it's an, it's an, it's a structured environment and there are cushioned walls. When you're out of it and you're sort of figuring out how to be an adult that relates to another human adult, 
you have to have conversations about what that looks like. And it doesn't necessarily sound like they've discussed what their days should look like. Yeah. So I think that, that with, as with anything, you know, the first and best advice when you're dealing with relationship issues is communication. If you can't have the conversation with someone, then the relationship is not really off to a very good start, right? Right. And I, I, my fear for this letter writer is that they're going to go down the path of trying to explain like, well, you want to see me too much because you just got out of college. But I, the wise 24-year-old, yeah. know that actually when you're dating someone, you only see them two days a week. As if there's going to be a sort of like, ah, I see that now. Like what I expected was only okay in college. Like it's literally just how often would you like to see your girlfriend? Tell her. And if you say like, hey, ideally I'd love to see you like three nights a week. Um, can we get together next like Thursday and Friday and we can check in again in like in between now and then? Say that. Um, I, I think let being, her have her own opinion and then try to compromise. And see whether or not those desires match up. And if they don't, figure out if there's a way you can compromise. And if that's impossible, then save yourself a lot of heartbreak yeah. further on down the line. I mean, I feel like the, those arbitrary rules about how often you're meant to see each other are really steeped in... It's, I mean, where did they come from, romantic comedies? It's ridiculous. If you want to see someone five nights a week, that's fine. If you want to see them two nights a week, that's fine. But you just have to be clear and honest about what those desires are and not end up contributing to what will probably, for her, as it is for a lot of women who have relationships with men, set up a lifelong fear of exerting what they need or what they want for fear of being told that they want too much and that they're being too needy. Oh, yuck, you want to see me during the day? Needy. My girlfriend wants to hang out. It sucks. <laughs> like, then don't have a girlfriend, you know? <laughs> or get a different one. Get one that you like to hang out with. Or just, you know, I don't want to be too hard on this person because, again, it's not like they're, like, ducking their girlfriend's, like, visits and, like, pretending to be in a conference meeting or something. Um, but, yeah, just... I would say be straightforward about how often you're available to hang out during the week. If she comes by after work and it's convenient, get coffee together for 15 minutes. If it's not, like tell her I'll call you later and mean it. You could also check in and say like, hey, is it kind of distracting when I come by during work or do you enjoy seeing me? Let me know. I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable at work. That might be something she would enjoy hearing from you. Yeah, um, yeah I feel like when you've been out of college for a lot longer than a few years you're more comfortable having those conversations. Oh, my gosh. It's so, it's very cute. Um, have a wonderful time. Date your, date your lady as long as you want to and be honest about what you are and are not available for. And again, tip well. All right. This next one is my turn. It's a little thornier than like how often are we going to get brunch together? Good. I'm dropping stuff. There we go. Uh, subject is huge crush on ex-student. Hello, audience. How are you all? <laughs> Comfortable? <laughs> Dear Prudence, I recently got divorced and started attending a large church. There I stumbled upon an ex-high school student from my teaching days. When I was having personal issues that were quite known among the church community, he reached out to support me. I hadn't seen him in years. Well, he is full grown <laughs> and a quite handsome, intelligent man. He's in his late 20s and I am nine years older than him. I was quite young when I was his teacher. I have developed a huge crush on him, not only because he is handsome, but because of his character. Is it crazy for me to think that something with him might be possible? 
I don't want to come across in the wrong way with him, but I'm really deeply attracted to him. I'm a single mom of three. Is it creepy to want to date an ex-student? Big question. I feel like implicit in the question was, is anyone at my church going to think it's weird that I date an ex-student? And I will just go ahead and say probably. Many churches are fairly gossipy, and churches tend to frown on anything that sounds like sex. Um, So if that was part of the worry or the question, I think that that's appropriate to be worried about. Probably you will get some pushback. Um, What's your take on like 35 year, did you get the sense by the way that this letter writer was still a teacher or that she had stopped being a teacher? Because she refers to my teaching days. Yeah, no, I felt she was an ex-teacher. And I also got the sense that, I mean, she sort of hints at, having gone through something and she's now a single mom of three. So potentially that something could have been a messy breakup. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might not have been, but if if that is the case, then I, I feel like it would be plausible to suggest that maybe some of the reasons that she's feeling this way about her ex-student is not just because he's nice and he's handsome, but because he's been nice to her. Mm-hmm. And maybe she's come out of a situation where she hasn't had someone be very nice to her. And she's forgotten what that feels like and Mm -hmm. that transference of feeling can be very powerful and that sense of recognising suddenly what it was that you were missing for so long can feel more meaningful than it necessarily is. Which is not to say, actually, that I don't think that it's okay for a 29-year-old man to have a relationship with a 38-year-old woman who has Oh, yeah, my math was off. Sorry, all. (laughs) nor do I necessarily think it's wrong that he's an ex-student. I would, I guess I would, I would want to know how, what, what, did she mention how old he was when she was his teacher? She said high school. High school. I mean, it definitely, like, when I saw the subject, this was the best case scenario. Like, when I saw I have a crush on an ex-student, we're both well into adulthood. (laughs) We haven't seen each other in years I'm in my 30s, he's in his late 20s. You know, we reconnected after nearly a decade of not being in contact at all rather than like, I've known this kid since he was knee-high to a grasshopper and I've like, you know, seen him grow up. You know, for me the problem, there is no problem actually with the fact that he's an ex-student. I think that they're both adults. If anything were to happen between her and him, I think it would be a case of two consenting adults. He's not even, it's not even like he's 21 You know, he's fully into his adulthood. He's been out of college for a long time. He's probably gone out with a couple of waitresses. (laughs) So that for me is kind of a a secondary issue. I think as you correctly pointed out, the fear there would be the gossip gossip amongst her church members, which is almost certainly a reality and almost certainly probably going to happen more because she is an older woman with three children, and I think if the reverse was happening, it might be can, looked at slightly differently. Elizabeth, and I hope it's a very, like, it sounds like the church was a helpful place for her as she was going through a messy divorce. Yeah. So my hope is that she actually gets a lot of community and solace from her church community. And again, um, you know, you haven't seen him in years. You're both well into adulthood. My only question would be, is he interested in you? Or exactly. was he just being kind? Um, so I would say, you know, proceed with caution. Um, 
it, it sounds like the fact that you're no longer a teacher, the fact that you haven't been in touch for a long time, that's all to the good. You know, think about if I were to ask this guy out and people were to talk about it, would I be able to kind of go through that or would that feel too overwhelming and too painful? In which case, you know, you might want to just say like, somebody that I knew a long time ago helped me during a difficult patch. It kind of warmed my heart and made me have a crush and I'm not going to do anything about that, but I am going to get ready to start going back out there and dating and I want to look for people who treat me this well and this kindly. That would be a good outcome too, I think. I think that's a really important piece of it as well is regardless of whether or not anything happens with her, well, with this grown man and her, the important thing that she needs to hold on to is that she's had a sense again of what it feels like to be treated with kindness and respect and someone who listens to her and who cares for her well-being. Now, whether or not there is the potential between the two of them to form a committed relationship should really be something that she kind of gets to the point where she can accept that as secondary to the gift that has been given to her, which is a reminder of her own self-worth and her own the fact that she deserves to be, if she is going to be in a relationship, she deserves to be in a relationship with someone who treats her with that respect. But yeah, I'll just say, so leaving aside whether or not you two are going to go out, I don't know how that would go if it happened. The last question is just, is it creepy to want to date an ex-student? Often the answer is yes. Um, But in this case, when it's, I know this person primarily as an adult, I no longer teach, Um, I don't have any sort of position of power over them. We are both in roughly similar periods of life in terms of living independently and taking care of ourselves. Um, We have reconnected, again, like our most recent contact was as two adults. It's not like I'm looking back and thinking about what a sweet high school junior he was. Um, So given the circumstances that you describe, nothing in there set off alarm bells of like, oh man, you kind of got off on having power or authority here or there was something about being able to influence his development before he was an adult that really like did it for you. I don't see any of that here. I don't think you need to think of yourself as an inherently like predatory person. It's a pretty specific situation. Good luck navigating it. And congratulations on um, you know being through the worst of that kind of tumultuous period of your life. Oh, we got more exes. Did you read this last one or did I? I don't remember. Uh, I believe you read it. Great. Then you turn. get to read about exes and Instagram. And, uh, oh, okay, yeah. Oof. All right. And then, yeah, okay, here we go. Enjoy it. Subject, can't stop looking at my ex's Instagram. Dear Prudence, I had a relationship of almost five years end very badly eight months ago. He convinced me to sign a lease with him, then immediately withdrew all intimacy from our relationship and acted like nothing was wrong, sending me into a deep bout of depression. I finally got the courage to speak up and ask what had happened. My ex revealed that he'd realised he was gay, but rather than break up with me, decided to make things as horrible for me as possible so I would leave and he could keep the apartment. Therapy helped me come to terms with the manipulation and emotional abuse. My ex also went to therapy and tried to keep talking to me and relying on me emotionally. I cut off all ties of communication a few weeks later, after he implied that I was a bad person who deserved some of what had happened to me. I really snapped out of it in that moment, continued therapy, and eventually reached a point where my therapist and I agreed that I wasn't in need of regular visits anymore. I rebounded rather quickly and fell in love with someone who makes me feel so loved, safe, and happy. However, despite all of this... I can't help but keep looking at my ex's Instagram. 
I do not follow him. I don't know if it's a morbid fascination or if it's just hard to completely release myself from knowing what he's up to after knowing so much about his daily life for five years. Either way, I am so frustrated, but I can't stop myself. What do I do about this behavior? Is there anything wrong with it? This is the most understandable letter I've ever read in my life. I know. I want to reach out through time and space and give this person a big hug. Yeah. This was a five-year relationship that ended eight months ago under some of the most, like, shocking possible circumstances, which is that, like, I've been trying to make you hate me so that you would leave and I could keep the apartment. By the way, I think you deserve it. And also potentially every intimate moment we shared... Yeah. Was, was different. <laughs> yeah, very different than how you experienced it at the time. So the fact that all you're doing is checking his Instagram a lot is frankly remarkable self-restraint. <laughs> and also born out of, I think, that sick fascination that we have, you know, to, to want to see something bad happen to something, someone who's done something bad to us. See something bad or try to see, like, I thought I knew what this person was like. And it turns out I, I didn't at all. Not only did I not know that he wasn't, like, that our orientations weren't compatible, but I didn't realize that he had such contempt for me. And that's, yeah, that's really what it comes down to as well, is that when you start reading that letter, you think, on the one hand, it's wonderful that this person has been able to realize who they are and come out and, and live their truth. And But it turns out that who he is is also an asshole. Yeah, but he's also an asshole. Yeah. Um, and it's the cruelty, I think, that goes alongside that. Like, that situation could have been handled so much better yeah. and with so much more kindness. Yeah. And he wanted the apartment. I mean, yeah. I, w- I was going to say, maybe she's just, like, scrolling through Instagram to see how he's decorating the place now. <laughs> like, fuck, that used to be my favorite room. Like, um, yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense that you would want to get some sort of a sense of who is this person. And that there would be a sense of, like, maybe through Instagram I can get a sense of who this person is because I thought I knew him and I didn't. Yeah, I mean, really, I I suppose it's the same way that a lot of people, when they feel like they've been through a situation with a a con person or, Mm -hmm. you know, a narcissist or someone who's treated them, someone who's gaslit them throughout their entire relationship, that that is what they're seeking. They're seeking some sense of understanding of what it was that they went through, who is... That's really why you're looking at his Instagram because you don't know who he is and by extension that means you don't know who you are. And I I think you have reason to believe that you are the person you want to be. I hope you're able to, like, it it sounds like therapy was helpful. It sounds like this new relationship is helpful. I hope you can give yourself uh, a little time to kind of acknowledge, like, I'm still me. But I would say I totally get why you're looking through this Instagram if you also want a little help letting go of some of that without saying like, I need to go cold turkey tomorrow or else I'll never be able to move on with my life. Um, Maybe tell one or two trusted friends and just ask them to kind of help keep you accountable and make it clear. Like, I'm not asking you to stop me from doing it, but I would like to just check in maybe once or twice a week and let you know, have I been looking? If so, how did it make me feel afterwards? Um, Just so that the first couple weeks you're mostly just letting somebody else, like without trying to curtail the behavior, just like here's how often it happens and here's how I usually feel afterwards. And after you've done that for a little while, you can kind of get a sense of like, oh, okay, last week you looked at the Instagram 11 times and afterwards each time you started sobbing. That's (laughs) useful information. Um, And then you can kind of start to ask like what would it look like to um, 
before I check it next time to call that friend instead and say like, I have an urge to go look at his Instagram account right now. Can you remind me that nothing good happens when I do that? Um, but yeah, give yourself a little permission to take time. It would be great if at some point you could maybe block him um, or, or, or delete Instagram from your phone for a little while until you've gotten some of the space you need to move past this. But if this is the most like maladaptive coping mechanism you've developed from a very upsetting sounding breakup, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. I, I also think that it will be helpful to remember that you're in the thick of it right now. And as distressing and emotionally exhausting as it does feel to kind of be trapped in that pattern of, of checking, even though you don't want to, it's very unlikely that in five years' time you'll be waking up and still doing the same things because you are a healthy, emotionally well-adapted person and that's evidenced by the fact that you've undertaken therapy. Congratulations, by the way. Um, and I think that putting in all of those steps and those lessons will lead you out of the terrible kind of tumultuous feelings that you're in right now. And and one day you will look back on this behaviour and it will seem strange to you or even foreign and uh, unrelatable that, that you were involved in it. Yeah. So I am aware that we only have an hour today and we have six minutes left, which means I don't think we will be able to get to the next four letters um, unless we did like the world's biggest lightning round. Um, so I'm going to... Do I want to end on coworker crush or no? Okay, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Um, we're gonna actually end on something that you just said probably won't happen to this letter writer, <laughs> and I'm gonna go ahead and read it because I want to make sure that we do time right. Uh, but the subject is can't stop dreaming about my ex boyfriend. Oh, yes. So I, I mean this to be hopeful. Maybe you will keep dreaming about this person. You can still have a good life. Dear Prudence. I dated an absolutely wonderful guy, Benjamin, over a year while I was in college. However, our relationship, which was long distance, became unhealthy on both sides and he eventually ended it. A part of me will always love him, though. That was three years ago. Maybe give it another 20. I've moved on, dated other people, etc. But I'm still dreaming about him. About two to three nights a week, my dreams are all about my Benjamin. <laughs> Sometimes we're back together or thinking about getting back together or just plain fighting. These dreams are exhausting. I wake up feeling incredibly depressed and drained. The worst part is knowing that I will never see Benjamin ever again other than in my dreams. Is there a way to cope with having these dreams which sometimes feel like nightmares? I know they may never stop, but I don't want to feel like garbage when I wake up anymore. For reference, I do believe that some dreams can inspire you to make a change in your life, but I definitely do not believe that these dreams are some sort of sign to initiate contact. Did I write this letter to myself? <laughs> I had a college boyfriend named Ben, and he your broke Benjamin. up with me several times. And definitely three years out of college, I was like, I will never get over this. <laughs> I will never forget him. I'm sure I'll always be a woman. And I'll always love him. And like, give it a couple years. <laughs> you might end up uh, with some exciting new facial hair and no dreams at all. Um, <laughs> oh, I felt for I felt for this letter writer so deeply because we've all been there. Where you know we've our dream lovers, dream lover, <laughs> come back to me. <laughs> 
uh, oh God, it's, there's nothing worse than that exhaustion of waking up after a terribly traumatic dream in which all of the the worst parts of either not being with someone or breaking up with them just comes back night after night. I don't know why she's still dreaming about him. That's She seems very clear on the fact that they're not meant to be together. She's she's okay with that. Yeah. But maybe there's a part of her that's not being fully honest about what she's clinging on to. I mean, love sometimes has a, a long-ass echo in one's life, I think. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we want to go back and try to recapture the past, but I absolutely still think about people that I have broken up with ages and ages ago. It's not always quite to this extent, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't think you necessarily need to think I'm doing something wrong. Sometimes you just feel something very deeply and it stays with you a long time. So to that end, I would recommend reading the novel Persuasion. <laughs> it's great. You guys remember the conversation the that she's of having the novels. at the end where it's like, I, I, I claim only one virtue for my sex, which is that long after all hope of love is gone, we maintain like loving the longest. And he's like, what's going on? He's writing down the letter like... <laughs> Which is actually maybe not a great book to read because they do end up getting back together after seven years. But I do think that maybe throwing a little Barbara Pym in there because then there's just unrequited love forever and nobody gets married, which is great. Um, But yeah, I would recommend reading Persuasion and some Barbara Pym. And I would also recommend keeping a dream journal. I also think that there is a part of you that feels like you didn't get closure. The relationship ended because you were both on the other side of the country from each other and... I mean, no, no matter what people like to believe, love can't survive anything or everything. You know, that makes it sound like love can't <laughs> love survive can't a survive single thing. Anything. Love cannot you survive distance. You heard it distance. here first, folks. It can't survive Give distance. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, maybe you had the basis for a really great relationship, but the thing that just didn't work out was the fact that you were so physically separated from each other the feelings that you had for each other didn't end because the relationship did. And that's what is still kind of burrowing down into your heart is that you didn't get any closure. Yeah. And I would just say, don't be afraid of big, scary feelings. I I often feel like if I'm feeling upset or or particularly twisted up about something, it must be a sign that something is wrong. That's not always true. Sometimes we just have big, big feelings. So I would just say if three years out from the end of a relationship that meant a lot to you, a couple days a week you wake up feeling kind of twisted Write it down. Write down what you dreamed. Write down what you felt. Acknowledge, like, I'm starting my day with this particular feeling of longing or despair. I know it will eventually fade and the day will take its place. Um, But that's where I'm at right now. Um, And let those feelings, you know, inspire you to be kinder to the people in your life right now, kind to yourself. Um, Let that be the kind of high bar that you have for future relationships of, like, I'm a person with a deep capacity for love um, and a deep, deep loyalty. That's a good thing. Um, But, yeah, I would just say pay attention to these feelings. Don't necessarily try to let them drive the car of your life. Um, But, like, read deeply. Read about people who have felt deeply and who have loved and lost and so on and connect with them in that way. And um, what you dream, you dream. Great advice. And we are exactly at 1230 And so we're done. Dream what you dream. Give up. Quit your job. (laughs) Ignore your cousin. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Live production by Faith Smith. And special thanks to the very kind people at the Melbourne Writers' Festival and Story Hall who helped make this happen. Don't miss an episode of the show. 
head to slate.com slash dear prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Well, initially when I read it, I was fully on the side of the letter writer, and I still am, but I I also have an understanding maybe of where Sue is coming from. I feel similarly. I get where Sue is coming from. I think Sue brought it up as badly as you can. Yeah. I think if the first time you ask your partner, how do you see yourself in relation to my kids, is just, hey, why don't you call my kids our kids? <laughs> You just skipped 12 conversations. Yeah. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.